Holy Spirit, we do say you are welcome here. And our longing is, we know you're present, but would you flood this place? Would you fill the atmosphere? Because God, it is your glory, it's your beauty that is the thing our hearts long for. And we want to be overcome by your presence, dear Lord. So we invite you to be present this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Morning, everybody. No snow today, just fog. Uh, Jordan, is Jordan still around? I know he was here earlier, he did the announcements, but we, after he said what he said about Christmas, we went and checked the records, and uh, he's used up all of his paid days off, so Jordan, just want to let you know that you do have to be here on Christmas Day, so Merry Christmas, dear friend. Uh, somebody was asking me if I dressed up for K-State today, since they're playing, is it this week, next week? I don't know when they're playing, but uh, no, just, uh, just trying to match the Advent candles, that's all. Yeah, kind of I messed up because today was the pink candle, so I should have, my son-in-law offered to go get me a pink shirt, but I'll stick with the purple if that's okay. Um, if, you're, if this is your first time to 12th, we want to welcome you to being a part of our family. Um, I love this place, I love the community, and we're glad to have you here with us this morning. Um, just continuing what we've been doing, which is what is the meaning of Christmas? And have been working through, through that, just kind of, as I shared with you, my own journey of having grown up not knowing what Christmas was about. And what I discovered was the core message of that, and so that's what we've been doing the last three weeks, kind of wrapping that up today. Um, and have been focusing on, to me, the way to wrap it up is the nine words of Christmas. So today, we'll get numbers seven, eight, and nine. Um, but can I get your help a little bit? What are the first three words of Christmas? God for us. And then l last week we talked about the, th the next three words, and they are what? That they're God with us. And then today we're going to finish that up. Um, you know, I don't, it's not very often you get in conversations about Christmas and the meaning, right? But if you do, this is really a really good way to share the meaning of Christmas with somebody is just say, you know, you can sum up Christmas in nine words and share the three words, the nine words, each three sets of three and just kind of what goes with that. And it's a really clear way of sharing really what Christmas, what the Bible, what the good news of Jesus is all about. And we are Christmas Eve. We will be in here. I don't remember the times. They're in the bulletin. But we are going to, I'm going to do a very brief summary of this and Again, if you ha are having family in town or you have any friends that you want to invite, um, you know, the car these cards say Sunday, December 1 to 22, but somebody last week grabbed some. They're having some, some friends they want to invite Christmas Eve, and they just said, I just said, just mark it off with a, a Sharpie and write on their Christmas Eve. And, but we've already had some people who've come because of invitation, and so if any of you are here this morning, we welcome you. Um, I know a fellow that's listening that came the first week and has been listening online every week. So um, glad to have um, even people that are doing that. So, so let me uh, summarize to this point, if you don't mind. And what we talked about that first week is that God is not only the creator of the universe, but he's the creator of each of us individually. He not only created us, but he 
He passionately loves us. And we talked about how the scripture says that before I was even born, that he loved me. And the scripture says that even before he created the universe, that he had us on his mind as the focus of his love. And, you know, one, one of the big themes to me as I came to the Bible for the first time, and I've told you, because I grew up in a very religious community, saw a lot of people doing religion, and as I came to the Bible, I realized the Bible wasn't about religion, but it's about what? Relationship. Uh, to me, that is so important. It's really about the fact that God loved all of us before we were even born. And religion is that idea that if I do certain things, then God kind of owes me. It's, it's all about earning something from Him. I do something, and then I get something back from Him. And the Bible is totally contradictory to that. That's what I learned, is the thing that I grew up not liking because what I saw was so negative, the thing my friends did that none of them liked, that I realized that the Bible wasn't about that religious stuff, but all it was about was an intimate relationship with the Creator who, who, who loved me before I was born. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to, to go to church. I didn't have to help old ladies across the street. I didn't have to do anything to earn His love and His delight. His love and delight were already there. We're told in Jeremiah that He loved me with an everlasting love, loves you with an everlasting love, loves us with a perfect love, First John says. And then we also talked about God not only loves us, but he, he created us for a specific purpose, and that purpose is to enter into relationship with Him, to, to He's longing to have our love in return. And I know that because Jesus, when He was asked, what is the thing God most wants? He didn't say go to the synagogue. He didn't say, you know, read the Torah. He didn't say, you know, give to charity. Not that those, there's anything wrong with those things, but the thing He said is, is to that man as he said, here's what God wants. The first and the greatest thing is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Love him passionately. That's the thing that God seeks is my love in return. And so God loves me, and he seeks my love in return. And so when we ended that passage, that talk that day, um, we ended with this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's what the story of the Bible is, is he, before I was created, he loved me, he loved you, that God is on our side, he wants us to flourish, he longs for us to be in relationship with him, that he is for us. And so those are the first three words of Christmas, is God is for us. Um, but then, you know, every good story, I don't know if any of you saw Star Wars this week with it coming out, but again, every good story, it always has the dip in the story, it has the conflict that arises, the things that happen that are unexpected. And what we're told in the Bible is we've rejected God and we've lived life for ourselves pursuing other things. That though He created me for a relationship, that I, I myself had, as the Bible says, I had wandered away. All of us have wandered away like sheep. And that that's what sin is. It's, as we talked, that spiritual adultery, the Bible says, living life for myself. Instead of pursuing God and that relationship, I pursue, pursued other things. We talked about, do you remember when we talked about that? We talked about Naomi and Gomer. Because again, we have to think relationally, not religiously. We have to think relationally about this. And the story of, of Hosea, who married Gomer, and then she abandoned him, she betrayed him, left him, moved in with another man, committing adultery. And how that through doing that, that she had 
she had broken the relationship, right? They had become, she had become alienated from the very one who most loved her, which was Hosea, her husband. And not only become alienated, but in that process had become a prostitute and was actually a slave to that man and could not even free herself. So she was alienated from him and she desperately, um, she was enslaved. And so she needed reconciliation and um, rescue from Hosea. And if you remember, there was only one person that could provide that. And who was that? Who was the only person who ultimately could reconcile the relationship, who could rescue her? And it was who? It was Hosea. It's the one that's wronged. Is the only one that can offer forgiveness. And forgiveness has to be offered for a relationship to be restored. And so we, it's the same with God. That we've abandoned Him and that our sin has dishonored God and it's broken the relationship we were created for. And how we're now alienated from God. Isaiah 59.2, that our sin has broken our relationship with God. And the Bible says, Jesus says that we become enslaved to sin. That we are shackled to sin. Just as she was shackled to that, to that man. And how that ironically this pursuit of other things has only led us down the path toward brokenness and ultimate ruin. That thinking I could live life for myself and find life in other things, that really what I found is, is that I had become broken, that my sin was bringing death and slavery into my own life. And I was in need of rescue from all of that. But just like the story with Hosea and Gomer, the need for Hosea to initiate the restoration of relationship, it's the same with God. So despite our rejection of him, God has not abandoned us, but he went on a search and rescue mission. That's what we talked about last week. And he did this through Jesus, whose name means, do you remember what Jesus means? I know it snowed last week, so about half of you weren't here. But for those of you that were here, Jesus means God to the rescue. God to the rescue. And so we learned that we are rescued from our sin and brought back into relationship with God through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. Because somebody had to pay the price, right, for, our, for the reconciliation. Somebody had to offer forgiveness. Somebody had to be the one to pay that redemption ransom price to win me back, to set me free from my slavery to sin. And so we learned that Jesus came and he lived the life that I should have lived. And then he died the death that I should have died. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, um, that he who knew no sin, he became a sin offering. To, be, to make me right with God. So he became the sin offering. That Jesus took upon himself my death and my ruin to pave the way back in relationship with God. And so that's what we learned last week. Uh, God, Jesus, when he was coming on the scene, the, the angel announced that his name would be Emmanuel, or to give him the title, his name was Jesus, but to give him the title or the name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so we learn that God is so for me, He's so for me, that He came to be with us in Jesus to die for me, to take the punishment of my sin upon Himself, so I could be reconciled back to Him, and so He could rescue me from my, sin, sin, my slavery to sin. And that's all good news. That's great news, right? We talked about that last week. So I want to, before we move on to this, the last three words, I want to talk for a minute about this rescue and reconciliation offered in Jesus. Something that is really significant that I learned as I was coming to the Bible. And it really fits this idea of relationship. 
and is really contrary to the idea of religion. And it's this idea that rescue and reconciliation are offered to us as a gift, a free gift. Now, I need you guys to help me out a little bit. There is a big difference between a gift and a paycheck. Can you guys tell me some differences? And I need you to talk loud so everybody can hear you, but especially so I can hear you. So I become an old man and my hearing decreases. Tell me a difference between a gift and a paycheck. A gift is from the heart. Paycheck is, yeah, you work for it. It's an obligate, it's obligatory, right? Jordan, do you hear that? Where is Jordan? Just <laughs> want to make sure. All the rest of the staff, it comes from the heart, but no, I love that guy so much. So yeah, so a gift is from the heart. A paycheck, they, they just, they kind of, I mean, when you, when you go, I used to work when I was going to school in my master's degree, a pretty large company that had a lot of employees, and when you'd go, there would be a lot of people getting their paychecks, and I want to tell you, the lady who handed them out, it didn't feel like it was coming from her heart, okay? It just didn't feel that way. What's another difference between a gift and a paycheck? A gift what? A gift doesn't require anything. Yeah, somebody just out of their own heart decides. Gifts are surprises, right? You're not even expecting it most of the time. But a paycheck is... It requires. What's it require? It requires work. You have to put in the work to earn the paycheck. Any other examples? There's a lot of differences. Any other things? Bit difference between a gift and a paycheck. You guys are creative. Say that again. A gift is unexpected. A paycheck is expected. Yep. Because when you, trust me, when I showed up every other Friday to that place, it was expected. Yeah, a, pay, a paycheck is never enough. <laughs> paycheck is never enough. But doesn't a gift feel like more than enough? I mean, it's, it's so unexpected and it comes from love. That's great. Yeah, paycheck's never enough. A gift is more than enough. Yeah, you, you may or may not have a relationship with the, the paycheck. Like the place where I worked, I did not have a relationship with the guy who ran the business. I didn't really know him, and he didn't know me. But a person who gives you a gift, you've got a relationship, right? Okay, and here's what I saw growing up, is that all the religion that I kept encountering in my hometown with all my friends who were going to church and doing all this stuff, that they were going and they would go with the expectation that because I did this Friday thing with that dude... I, there was this thing that I got back in return, and it was this sense of this earned thing because they had done a practice that they were getting something from God that by doing that, they kind of deserved. Does that make sense? And then I came to realize in the Bible that the Bible says that this offer of relationship with God, though it's broken, that when He comes and is God with us, and Jesus lays down His life and offers me new life, that it's a free gift. John 4.10, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Romans 6.23, the penalty of sin is death, but the, the what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a, it's a gift from God. Romans 5.15, even greater is God's wonderful grace and His, what? 
His gift of forgiveness to many through Jesus Christ. This wonderful gift. So I know this is really kind of basic, so I apologize, but sometimes, again, I think it's important to go back to basics. How do you get a gift? I don't know if that makes sense. Somebody comes and offers a gift. You've got to do something. What do we say? What's the word? Yeah, you receive or you accept a gift. It's offered and you have to receive or accept it. I want to tell you, it's kind of funny. Maybe it's just me, but when we'd go in to get the paycheck from that company, it was kind of more like taking. I mean, they'd kind of hold it because we went to this little window and she kind of pulled through it and you'd like grab it because you want to you know, get that before she, uh, before she <laughs> let it go. It, it didn't feel much like accepting or receiving. It was like getting the thing. I was in there to get the thing that I deserved. But you have to accept it or receive it. Um, I used to t- use this with international students all the time. Um, but imagine, um, imagine somebody, we used to have, t- well, I mean, Jim's here. Jim Wayman's the president of ESB. Imagine Jim Wayman were to create an account called the 12th Avenue Mortgage Payoff Account. Jim, thank you for the, that Christmas present that was unexpected by all of us, including you, um, today. But... <laughs> Imagine he created an account, and in that account, he put just mil- hundreds of millions of dollars, and the purpose was is he, would pay off, he would pay off the mortgage of anybody who goes to 12th Avenue Baptist Church r- regularly. <laughs> he, he's, he's back there keeping track of that, by the way. <laughs> okay, so imagine he created that account. Um, but if he did, what the rules would be generally is if you want it, you have to show up at the bank... And when you show up at the bank to get that put into your account, you have to go in and say, hey, I hear that this is offered, that this has been put in there. He paid the price. It's his money. He's already done everything he had to do. But I have to, the only thing that's required of me is I have to come in and I have to accept that as a mortgage payment, and then that gets shifted into my account. Does that make sense? So that's, that's kind of what this idea is. Jesus has paid everything that needs to be paid to bring me back into relationship. But I still have to be willing to accept that for that, his, his payment for my sin to get put to my account. It just doesn't happen automatically. Jim, we can talk after the service about all that, so. And it's the same with this relationship with God. It's a relationship that I, that you, that we must sincerely desire. I must want the relationship and choose to accept it. And that's why in John 1.12 it says, to those who receive Jesus into their lives, some translations say accept, receive, it's the same meaning, who those who receive Jesus into their lives, that is they believe in his name, they fully trust in the totality of who he is, that's what that means. He, there's that word again, he what? He gives them the right to become children of God, to those who welcome Jesus into their life. He gives the right to become his child. This verse I'm going to use, the context is about people, about a church. It was something Jesus said to a church, but I still think the principle applies, so I'm going to use it if you don't mind. That in Romans 3.20 where Jesus says, I stand at the door of your life and knock. And some of you, he's still outside because you've not invited him in and accepted that relationship. And you've been here a while, and you kind of have that sense that there's an invitation coming to you from him. And he says, if you hear his voice and if you open that door, that he says, I will come into you and we'll have fellowship, we'll have relationship, intimate fellowship. That's his promise. 
So it's a relationship you have to desire, but you have to receive it. And that's what happened to me many years ago. After I had gone through my journey, as I shared with the youth on Wednesday, it was a very intellectual journey. There was a lot of things that I questions that I had to have answered. But when I became convinced in the resurrection that Jesus was the creator, that he was God who came so longing a relationship that he was willing to give everything to win me back, that he was wooing me to, my, to himself, that there was a day that I prayed something like this and I said, Lord Jesus, I've come to realize I've been living my life apart from you, that I've lived life for myself, pursuing other things, I've wronged you in the process. I'm so sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jordan, you just, somebody came to Jesus recently, right? And they said in their prayer something like, I'm tired of leading my own life. I want you to lead my life, right? Really cool. That's it. That's what I was like. I don't want to do that anymore. I want your forgiveness more than anything else. I want that relationship with you that you offer. I believe you died on the cross in my place to pay the punishment for my sin, and I accept that sacrifice on my behalf. Today I choose to accept. I am accepting. I'm receiving the free gift of your salvation from my sin. Come into my life and lead me from this point on. I want to know you and I want to follow you. And I came to that point. A very significant day in my life where I accepted that gift of relationship. And he came into my life and, and gave me that, forgave me of my sin. That's good news. As I shared last week, because I still remember this so like it was yesterday. That feeling of when you accept him and he comes into you and he gives you relationship and forgives you of your sin, that, that real life feeling that I had of the weight of my sin falling off. Um, some dude, old English dude, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan talks about the weight of sin rolling off your shoulders. I can still remember the feeling of the weight of my sin and of having this new relationship and I'll never forget that day. But here's what I'll do. I want to tell you what happens after that. So you receive him, welcome him in your life, and he has this amazing promise for you that like blows you away because what he cares about, it's not religion, it's about what again? Relationship. And I want to show you how intimate this relationship can be. So we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, that if you welcome him, if you receive that gift of salvation, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Well, what's that mean? Well, here's what Colossians says. You have begun to live the new life in which you are. We're going to come back to this, but these three words are really important. Would you read them with me? You are being made new and are becoming like the one who made you. Well, how does he give me this new life? How does he make me new? How does he make me like the one um, that I now belong to? Well, you go back to Ezekiel, and here's what Ezekiel says. This was God's promise of this new covenant, this new thing he would do through Jesus. He said, I will, put, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit. I need you to say this word with me if you don't mind. I will put a new spirit in you. So I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you that heart of stone. I'm going to take the heart of stone out, Garen. I'm going to give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put not just a spirit in you, I will put whose spirit? My spirit in you, in you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And then when he's in you, he will move you to follow my laws. 
That is huge. Do you know that? Because I grew up watching people on the treadmill of religion doing weekly things they thought they had to do to stay in good stead with God or they may not be with Him forever. And they were on this, this just weekly religious treadmill. And then I realized that what Jesus wants is a relationship, and He had taken care of that. And when I accepted that relationship, He says, I'm going to do this amazing thing. I'm going to put my spirit in you, give you a new heart, and you don't have to be on this treadmill of performance for me. I put my spirit in you, and He will move you to become the right kind of person. I will make you into the right kind. Isn't that a huge difference? That's a game changer. Jesus said this in John 14. He said, I will ask the Father, and He will, there's that word again, He will what? Give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He will live with you, and He will be where? In you. He will be in you. The creator of the universe, in me. That is so profound. 2 Corinthians 3.18, day by day with ever-increasing glory, we are being inwardly transformed by the Spirit of the Lord to be like Jesus and to reflect His glory. Day by day, just as daily walk, ever-increasing glory. As I've said before, it's, it's, it's two steps forward, three steps backwards, two steps forward, three steps backward, but with gradual increasing, ever-increasing glory, we're being transformed where? Inwardly, inwardly transformed by who? By the Spirit of the Lord, not by my own work, but by the Spirit of the Lord, to be like who? To become more like Jesus and to reflect His glory, or again, to reflect His beauty. So Galatians 5, to 23 says this, that the Spirit, when He comes in you, here's what He will do. He will produce in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who's going to produce that in you? The Spirit of God will produce that in you. It will become the fruit of Him living in you. Who doesn't need more of those things in their life? This is a little bit risky, so if nobody does it, I understand. But if you were to shout out just one of those, that you just like to have a little more of that thing in your life, what would you pick? Somebody, is there anybody willing to do that? That's pretty risky, but what? Peace. What? Patience. Joy, I heard. Faithfulness. Joy. Love. Do I hear love? Anybody have love? Love. Here we go. I don't know. I'm not a, what's that? What? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I could use the love one really bad. I mean, I just need more of God's agape love in my life. Yeah. Patience. Self-control. Anybody need some self-control in here? Yeah. Here we go. The Spirit, when He's in you, will produce those things in ever-increasing measure to make you more like Jesus. Um, I really love this, this idea of the, the beech tree. And actually, we've got some trees on, on our property that kind of annoy me because they don't drop their leaves till the spring. Um, and there are several varieties that do this, but the beech tree in particular, I find fascinating. Some of them, they just keep them and they drop them in the spring. But the beech tree does this thing called marcasence, if I remember right, this thing on the side. And what happens is, is a beech tree drops its leaves when in the spring, when, when the bud comes and the new leaf starts going out, the new leaf plops the old leaf off. 
it pushes it out. The beech tree pushes it out. And to me, that's what, I love that illustration. That's what the Spirit of God does, is He comes in me, and a lot of the stuff in my life that I don't like, that's not there, that He, as He grows an influence in my life, He pushes those things off, and He pops out the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that takes its place. So as He produces love in my life, it kind of knocks off the unloving things in my life. And as He produces patience in my life, it knocks off the impatience in my life. Isn't that a beautiful illustration of that? That that's how God works from the inside out. So that's why in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been put to death with Jesus. I've been crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, it is Christ, it is Jesus who lives in me and through me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's like, yeah, I'm living, but it's Jesus who's living in me and it's Jesus who's living through me. That's such a powerful thing that he not only brings me into relationship with himself, but he puts his spirit into my life and I have this intimate presence of him in my life and him transforming me from the inside out. That's what a relationship with God looks like. That's not religion at all. And I love that. And I just want you to know the stuff we've been talking about for four, fourth week now. This is all God's work. I hope you've gotten that point. But this is all God's work. All of it is His work. You know, as I was coming to faith and learning about all this stuff, and I, as I told you, I just watched religion for so long and had no interest in it. that I really learned this distinction, that this is really all God's work. And one thing I learned is, is, do you know, for most people with religion, do you know what the end goal is for most people? I just was telling the youth, whenever, when my uncle died and I was there, and I listened to them, it was real obvious. The thing that everybody wanted, their goal in life was to get to heaven. You know that? The goal was heaven. Heaven. Whatever it was in whatever religion, that's the goal, is get to heaven. And how do you do that? You do that by being good. It's what you do. That's what religion is. You do good stuff, and then God, if you do enough, God kind of owes you. It's a transaction, like a business deal. He owes to give this to you, that you can come stay in his place. Though it became very clear when I was with my relatives, as they talked about that place, it was kind of a party with all your friends, and the guy who owned the place just was never there. He was never around. You know, he kind of owned the place, but he just let you hang out with your friends. That's kind of what it was in their mind. It's earned, right? That's how most religions approach this, is you earn that goal. It's all earned by me, kind of winning a prize. But as I learn about the Bible, I realize that the goal wasn't heaven. And if the goal to you is to go to heaven, that's not the goal. That's the wrong thing. The goal is the relationship with him, to, to accept and receive that, relation, that father-child relationship that deep husband-wife type relationship, that friendship with God. That's the goal is the relationship. The goal is, is that when I die, I'm with Him intimately forever. Not that place. Okay, I get the place because that's His place, right? The goal is the relationship with Him. And that is given, not earned. Scripture is so clear. It's been done. I don't do it, but it was done. By who? By Jesus. He did all the work. He did everything to get me that relationship. And all I have to do, as we've talked, is I just receive it. Through my faith, my belief, my trust in Him. That's how I receive 
that relationship. He did all the work. And then, here, here's what I found in all of this, because with religion, being good comes before getting heaven. You got to be good. That treadmill, that constant performance of being good enough so you can earn heaven. But with Jesus in the Bible, He's taken care of all the work. He offers a relationship. I receive it by my trust in Him. And then once I have the relationship, He begins to make me good by transforming me from the inside out. Do you see the difference? The difference is huge. One is being good to have heaven. The other is I get into the relationship. He lives in my life and He makes me into a good person. That's why Colossians says we are being made new like the one who made you. That's why Galatians said that it's the Spirit who produces in you love and joy and peace and patience. Good deeds flow out of the relationship, out of the transforming power of the Spirit who lives in you. Isn't that good news? I was so excited that when I realized what the Bible was inviting me into was a relationship with God, not a religious treadmill because I had no interest in that. This truly was good news for me. Not only that God passionately loved me, that He was seeking my love in return, that though I had broken the relationship, that I was alienated and I was enslaved to sin, that He was the one who came in Jesus on a search and rescue mission for me, Jesus being God to the rescue, and that He paid the full price to reconcile me to Himself and to, and to rescue me from my sin. And He offered me this gift of this relationship, and all I had to do was reach out and accept that gift. And by doing that, His Spirit entered into me and began to change and transform me and slowly be about the process of making me like Jesus. That was good news, and that still is good news. And a lot of people need to hear that. You know that? A lot of people need to hear that good news. So it's a relationship that we must sincerely desire and choose to accept. And I have a sense that there's probably a person or two here today who's been here and you've been listening to stuff for a while and you're, you're being drawn. I talked about how he woos us. That's how he draws us to himself is through woo. You felt his woo. You, you felt yourself slowly being drawn to him, to becoming convinced that Jesus is the creator, that he is good and that he's beautiful, that we have a broken relationship with him and that he's longing to restore that and he paid the whole price. And if that's you today, I don't know the right time. But if this is the right time, I want to challenge, if you feel even close, because sometimes you just need a little push, I want to challenge you that maybe this Christmas, maybe today, maybe this Christmas season is the day where you finally receive Him, where you welcome Him into your life by fully trusting in who He is and become His child. And if you want to do that, feel free. Grab me after the service. Give me a call, anything I would love to to walk you through that process. It's not hard. You can do it, I mean, at home on your own. It doesn't have to be something, but if you want somebody to walk you through that, I would love to do that. So let me finish with one last thing, if you don't mind. Because Jesus not only, the Spirit not only comes inside of us to change and transform us, but He makes us part of a community of other people who are filled with His Spirit. Because it's not about individual relationship with God alone. It's also about becoming a part of a family, right? Because you give, you're given the right to become God's child, and does He have more of those? He does. There's a family. I mean, it's Christmas. How many of us are longing 
you know, we loved, well, most of us, I mean, most, we want most of our family back, right? Thankfully, I want all of my family back. Some of us have different sorts of family, but, but family is about being together. It's not about individualism. And so he puts us in a community, a community of Jesus, and it's a community of people who are being inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's what we are called to, people who are walking with him so we can be, the Spirit is, is able to inwardly transform us. We are to be a community of great diversity and great unity. Great unity, yet great diversity. Specifically, I love this, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. For, for what? For just Americans, right? I just want Americans in my community. For all nations. That is his longing, is that this be a family of all nations. So we've got some from Korea that are here this morning, somebody from China that's here this morning. We are becoming a community of all nations at 12th, and that's what I love about this place. That's why we have the flags up, and that's why we left them up this year. Because I want us always to be reminded when we walk in here that God is creating for himself a house of prayer for, for all nations, and that's why the flags are up. So he's creating this, this very diverse community that has amazing unity, a community of faith, hope, and love. We're told multiple times that it's to be a community. We are to be a people marked by faith, hope, and love. And then finally, a community that's empowered by Jesus to spread his love, his liberation, his life everywhere we go. That where our foot lands, that we are trampling death and the devil underneath our feet. That we're bringing love, life, and liberation where we go as a community. So I love, I love the church family. I love the community of Jesus. People in whom God lives. And if you remember from the story of God, we are sent to heal. And that's why he puts his spirit within us. And that has been the history of the people of Jesus. There's a lot of bad press about the Jesus community. And we don't have, we have bad spots in our history, right? I mean, the church through history. Just like I've got bad spots in my life. But as N.T. Wright says, that that has been pushed and said so much in our modern culture that the reality is, is that so much of what the Jesus community has done through history has been neglected or forgotten. Of the top five organizations that give help whenever there's disaster around the world, four of them were started by people who follow Jesus, okay? Slavery, the anti-slavery movement there in the middle, the Clapham sect and the anti-slavery movement in the U.S. was started by people who follow Jesus. Whenever you talk about um, the adoption of children, like not adoption, but where you have a child back in another country and you're helping support their education and their medical and all of that, um, the top three organizations were started by people who follow Jesus. The mercy ship that travels the world, bringing free medical care to people in poverty. Microfinance was started by a man who follows Jesus. International justice mission, justice all over the world. Threads of hope. You know, we've sent people to the Philippines, threads of hope, to to give women work to do so they don't have to give their daughters in prostitution. It's a community of Jesus that's doing this in the Philippines. The Red Cross. Everywhere the community of Jesus has been, women's suffrage, it has worked to bring love, life, and liberation. Sure, we fail sometimes, but for the most part, it's done what the Spirit of God has done an amazing thing. So John 14, would you read this with me? 
And there's one word I really want you to say loud. It's in red, and it's kind of uh, bold there. So would you read this? Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He will live with you, and He will be in you. Good job. So the last three words of Christmas is God in us. God is for me. He came to be with us to win me back to himself. And if I accept that relationship, he promises to live in me forever till that point of of new creation when I will be in his presence forever. Isn't that an amazing story? Aren't the nine words of Christmas just awesome? God is for us. He came to be with us and he is in us. That's something you can tell anybody really simply. If ever, somebody ever asks, like, hey, what's the meaning of Christmas, or Christmas means more to you than others, this is something you can use, so. All right. Would you stand? So this story, I mean, it still blows me away. It's not about religion, it's about what? And it's all him. It's all him. It's all Him, and it's all grace, and it's all His love, it's all His kindness. That's what it is. So I felt like the only way to end talking about the meaning of Christmas in these nine words is to seek about it, sing about His amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right, that saved a wretch like me. I'm telling you, I once was lost. I was so lost, and I knew it. But now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And my chains, that slave enslavement to sin, my chains are gone and I've been set free because my God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. It's unending love. It's what? It's amazing grace. Can we finish by singing of His amazing grace? That's all in this story of Christmas. Father, thank you for that reality that it's not about religion, but it's about you offering a relationship and having come into that through Jesus. You have filled me with your spirit and have promised me that forever I will be yours. And I am eternally grateful. And I'm so thankful that that is what this season is about. So help us to be a people who embody that message who embody for people, who carry this message for people around us that you are for them and that though we have abandoned you, you came to be with us to seek us out and to pay the price to win us back and then to fill us with your spirit to transform our hearts so we can live eternally with you. So let us be a people that embodies that message. Thank you for your amazing grace. Fill us again with a sense of awe and the amazingness of that grace. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, the gracious one. Amen. So with that being the story of Christmas, you're sent to embody that story to a watching world.